everyone. So before we get started this week, we just wanted to issue a trigger warning um, for this week's podcast. Several of our listeners had asked that we uh, maybe try to breach this topic of grief and loss as an adult. So we will be bringing up some sensitive topics that may be difficult to listen to. Um, so we just wanted to let everyone know that now before we got into it. So when someone you care about is grieving after a loss, it can be difficult to know what to say or to do. The bereaved struggle with many intense and painful emotions, including depression, anger, guilt, and really profound sadness. Often, they also feel isolated and alone in their grief, since the intense pain and difficult emotions can make people uncomfortable about offering their support. You may be afraid of intruding, saying the wrong thing, or making your loved one feel even worse at such a difficult time. Or maybe you think there's little that you can do to make things better. That's understandable. But something that we wanted to talk about that we've sort of learned from listening is to not let discomfort prevent us from reaching out to someone who is grieving. I think at that point, more than ever, the loved one or a good friend needs your support. You don't have to have all of the answers or give advice or say or do all the right things. But the most important thing you can do for a grieving person is to simply be there. Um, so we want to go on record in saying that we are absolutely not experts on this topic, but we thought we might try our best to discuss such a difficult emotion. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of our own personal experiences with grief, and we hope that we can glean at least a little bit of comfort or thought for anyone who has gone through such a difficult personal loss. We hope you enjoy listening to us. If you do, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at 35ishpodcast. Hey, everyone. So we are here to tackle um, arguably our toughest topic to date. Mm -hmm. And I would be lying if I didn't admit that I'm a little nervous to tackle this topic. And I think Lisa can agree with that. Yes. Um, so again, we're going to reiterate by saying that we are not experts. We are not mental health professionals or bereavement experts, but we are real people who have experienced real loss and supported people who have also gone through real loss. So today we just hope that we can share our own personal experiences um, in supporting others and in our own loss in the hopes that somebody out there who maybe feels alone or is going through something difficult can maybe feel a little bit less, less alone and feel supported. And we'll share, you know, what we've learned along the way as best we really can. Um, you know, Lisa was telling me um, a little story. St. Patrick's Day was yesterday. Um, and I'm going to kind of let her take it from here. But she was telling me a story about how her mother-in-law always used to make a fantastic um, St. Patrick's Day meal since she was 100% Irish. So, Lisa, do you want to kind of tell a little story about your mother-in-law? Yes. Thanks, Ash. Yes. So my mother-in-law, uh, my husband's mom, um, was 100% Irish. And, you know, you could tell just from looking at her that she was. But then, so she wasn't like, it wasn't something that she talked about often. But every year on St. Patrick's Day, she made a traditional Irish dinner, the corned beef, the cabbage, the homemade soda bread, the whole thing. Um, and it's something that, you know, my husband never really like mentioned, um, 
that it was something that he really like looked forward to or liked um, while she was alive and while she was doing it. Um, but we, we lost her actually back in 2015. Um, and since she's passed I just sort of started quietly doing it and um, I know it's something that it means a lot to him and we don't we it's it kind of like carrying on a tradition Um, in a way it's subtle we don't really don't really acknowledge exactly why but I know that it means a lot to him Um, I'll have to be honest it's been really hard um, having a spouse whose mom has passed away Um, my experience with her. So I, when I had met my husband, um, his mom was actually sick since the time that I met him. Um, and such a tough woman, you would never know, but, um, it was, it's been hard because I have to say when my husband lost his mom, he's never been the same. He really, um, he, it really, it changed him, um, profoundly as, as only as something a loss like that can do. Um, and I sometimes haven't known how to be there for him. Um, and when he first lost her, he was really, really quiet. Uh, didn't want to talk about it with me, but had a lot of anger around it. And I could see it coming out in other ways. Um, and I think it's, it was, it's, it was hard not experiencing something like that. Thankfully myself, uh, yet I, sometimes felt a little like guilty and not knowing um how like if he would want to spend time with my family and what if if it brought it was too painful um but what I realized was if I just sort of and and there would be times times I would try to force him to talk about it and of course I always you know wanted him to go to speak to someone but I realized if I listened and like really, really listened and observed, he was telling me how he wanted to acknowledge it and how he wanted to, to deal with it. He said he loved hanging, hanging out with my family and being around my mom in particular because feeling those maternal feelings, it only brought him comfort and remembering his mom. Um, and then other ways of like I sometimes would get awkward if he did bring his mom up because I wasn't sure like how much he wanted to get into it or I would start to ask too many questions. So then I just like really, really took a backseat and like started to um, just like suggest little things and like little ways. And for a while he wouldn't want me to go with him to the cemetery. Um, But then like a couple, like two years ago on on Mother's Day, um, he asked if I would go with him and we spent like a really long time there. And he, and he said, you know, this is like really, this is really good. I finally feel like, like I can talk about her. And we've, I've noticed that we've, we, now I just sort of bring her up all the time, like in casual ways. And we don't really talk about the passing anymore. We talk about her. Um, And so I still sometimes think I, I didn't do as good of a job as I should have as a spouse um I didn't at the time I just sort of was like taking the cue or thinking like oh guys don't want to talk about it um because it's been seven years now um but I I think like there's no there's there's because grief doesn't actually go away it, it's just dealt with differently I think that it's also something that like you can learn to do better as the years go on too. Um, thanks for letting me get that out. I actually haven't really verbalized much of that in a long time or if ever. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad it's therapeutic for you too. And I think that you're being hard on yourself too. Um, I don't think that anybody knows 
how nobody is an expert in dealing with a loss like that. Mm-hmm. You only have one set of parents, so you can only lose them once. Right. And as a spouse going through that alongside them, I would imagine that's a really difficult position to be in because I'm sure you had some grief around the loss of her as well. She was your mother-in-law. Like you knew her. She was a wonderful woman and you had your own feelings and some grief around that. But in that instance, you're putting your own grief aside to do the best you can to support someone who probably doesn't know how they need to be supported yet. And I think when you, like how you said that you took a step back and you sort of followed his lead and that if you really listened, he was telling you what he needed. Mm-hmm. I think you did everything right and the best that you possibly could. And I love that now he's allowing you to share that, you know, with him. And that I think a really pivotal moment that you that you talked about and I think that many other people have maybe had this experience too, where you said that you went from talking about the loss to just talking about her. Yes. Yes. That's so, and I didn't realize that until I said it, like I, I actually haven't hadn't had that thought until we were talking through it. And you know, Ash, I think like you, you just put your, put, like I never thought about the loss that I was experiencing too. Like I really miss her. I miss her often. Like the, you know, having, um, you know, the matriarch kind of structures a lot of the family and missing the dynamic that we had. And, and, you know, we don't have kids yet, but mourning the thought that she wouldn't be a part of it. And she was such a loving person that, and I think that now that there's been some space and, and distance and maybe it's, I think, I think what's changed for my husband, the anger has maybe gone and that might have cleared the path to then be able to like accept maybe some of my feelings too. Whereas in the beginning, it was just so profound and so deeply hurt that there was no energy or space to hear, like to think about other anyone's feelings and, and I wouldn't expect it either. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, I feel like that's a really tough loss and about how far into it do you feel like something switched in which you could just talk about like her in the sense, like her presence, like that thing she enjoyed, how she fit into life and telling stories about her, like over dinner, like, when do you feel like that switched? I want to say three to four years, maybe okay. closer to four. It was, it was longer, I think. And I, I, I think that 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 probably has to do a little bit with my husband's personality. And like, I, 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 some, and you know, some, something that I used to say to him that perhaps wasn't helpful um, at the time, but I think I used, I, I felt lucky that we did know um, cause she was sick for a long time. And that when, it, when she finally went, we actually did know we had a good three weeks where the doctors were pretty sure that it was it, that she was going to pass. And I, I felt grateful that we got to be with her when she went and that we got to tell her that we loved her. And there wasn't, there wasn't any guilt or any like feeling of, well, I didn't get to, they didn't know that I loved them. She, what gave me comfort was she knew that every single person in her family loved her. And, but I think it's, it, that's something that's, it's easier for somebody like, um, a bit removed from the person to be able to look at a positive side. And what I realize is when you're in it, sometimes those, those are, those are lessons to talk about when you've, when you've maybe 
gone through some of the deepest shock and anger. And that was something that I learned, like going forward and supporting people who have lost people is, you know, maybe offering those those positive or those like the bright side, like it's, it's never going to feel like a bright side to anyone. They want them here every day. So maybe those conclusions can wait for, you know, if someone is, feels more open to talking about it. I think that's really valid that in certain instances, and you know, profound loss is one of them that trying to find the silver lining, just it's, it's just not the best approach. Yeah. There is no silver lining for someone who's lost some, someone mm -hmm. there's, there's no bright side. There's no silver lining. Like Mm -hmm. there just isn't it's darkness and that's, it's hard. Right. Especially when you like feel like you want to, be there like when you you, sometimes I think we might mistake comfort and support for fixing and like you were saying like there's there's no fixing this there's nothing there's there's not going to be there's no band-aid there's nothing that you can do to to fix grieving like the way that you grieve is to grieve and whatever however that looks like and I think one of the things that I've learned along the way in supporting, you know, people that I know who have lost loved ones is everyone grieves differently. Mm-hmm. And there's no right or wrong way really to grieve as long as it's, you know, as long as you're not harming yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And to just give people space to grieve how they want and to figure out a way to best support how they're choosing to grieve, but telling someone that they're grieving the wrong way or that that's not how you would grieve or that's Mm -hmm. not how you saw so-and-so grieve Mm -hmm. is generally not helpful. That makes so much sense. Like thinking that there's a specific timeline and trying to impress that upon someone for whatever, you know, I think we get a lot of messages about grieving from uh, shows, media. Sometimes it's like we have an idea of like, oh, this may be, maybe they're grieving too much or too hard or, or, and, and not really knowing what the difference is between a grieve, gr- grieving and like a, a deep, deep depression and confusing it maybe. Um, and I think the-, the fact that you brought up um, how it's portrayed in the media is really important because this is real life and mm-hmm. it's not going to be wrapped up in a pretty bow to end an episode mm-hmm. in 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's portrayed oftentimes out there is depicting a profound loss, but then wrapping it up in a bow by the end of the episode. And then by the next episode, it's rarely, if at all, mentioned as if it's been erased. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that isn't how life works. And that grief doesn't go away. That grief follows you. It's not something that you ever, quote unquote, get over. Mm -hmm. You may feel it differently Mm -hmm. at different points in time, and it Mm -hmm. may be less raw, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. always there. And it doesn't end when an episode is over. Right, right. Or because someone said something that that was a, a major breakthrough, and now all of a sudden you get this closure, which seems like there's as far as anything that I've seen or read or experienced with other people, there's no such thing as closure. That's something that that's like a delusion. It's not, or, or I shouldn't say that maybe, maybe there are different forms of being able to move forward, but not in a way that it's like, okay, 
full acceptance done with like moving. Yeah. It's, it's, it's way more complex than that. You know what, Ash, um, when we were talking about this episode um, and where we thought that we might be able to give some insight, you know what we talked about what's particularly difficult of being like a 35 ish woman person is you're sort of dealing with loss from a lot of different angles you're dealing with loss, you know, of some of your closest people, possibly grandparents, parents, but you might also have experienced such a profound loss as losing, you know, a child. And I think that that's something that, you know, we, we're just starting to see it written about and spoken about more than it ever was, but it's still something that is so, so, so deep and so painful. Yeah. Um, I, It's true. I do think that we are in a unique position um, at this stage in there where we're really just, you know, experiencing loss in so many different things. And I believe that I shared on one of our earlier episodes that I had actually experienced a loss of a child myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a miscarriage actually before my first child. Um, But to kind of share a little bit more about that experience where maybe somebody is going through that. So again, if you're, if this is not something you want to listen to, this is absolutely a trigger warning for talking about miscarriage and loss. Mm -hmm. Um, but my experience with that, um, it was my first pregnancy and I went into it really blissfully unaware of Mm -hmm. things that could go wrong. I was, you know, had my feelings of excitement and I had no signs, anything, anything was wrong. I went to my first appointment, um, it was very, very early. They're like, it's a confirmed pregnancy, but it's too early to see anything further. Come back in two weeks. And when I went back um, in two weeks, there was a heartbeat and a perfect Mm -hmm. little baby. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited. And I was like, Oh, like, this is like, this is it. Like, this is our baby. And, you know, all of this. And I was in the first trimester. And of course, I had read that, you know, the first trimester is the most common for miscarriages, but nobody goes into it thinking like, that's going to be me. Most people don't. I didn't. It was not anything on my mind. And if you're reading it by the books and by the statistics, in fact, if you read anything, it says that the risk of miscarriage dramatically drops once you see a heartbeat. So I even felt like I had statistics on my side. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I went on and I had my next schedule appointment and I had absolutely zero signs. Anything was wrong. There was no bleeding. I had all the pregnancy symptoms that I had of being in the first trimester. And I went in for my next appointment, like regularly scheduled appointment. And I mean, I'll never, I'll never forget this, but Mm -hmm. I like went into the room and they like start doing the ultrasound and they do when you're early on, they do like, um, they'll either do an internal or they'll do like an on your belly one. So they started with like the on, on the belly because I should have been about 10 weeks and you could see the baby and I, you could kind of see that they were like really moving the wand around, but like they weren't saying anything. And then they like kind of put it away and they like did the internal ultrasound to try to get like a closer look. And at this point I'm like kind of wondering like, well, like what's going on Mm -hmm. and they like put it on, but you could see like on the screen, like this, like 
what looked like a perfect baby. And mm. they were like, it, it doesn't have a heartbeat. Oh my gosh. And in that moment, I mean, I was devastated and blindsided and all of the emotion it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was just, mm-hmm. I, I like didn't even know what to say, what to do. And um, unfortunately for me, I had a really insensitive doctor uh, oh gosh. who was getting ready to go on vacation and basically was like, here's a pamphlet and some pills. See you in a few weeks. Like kind of just sent oh me on my God. way. And I'm like, okay, like, you want me to take these pills and pass this baby at home? Like it's pretty traumatic. And I felt like it was just, the whole thing was just like, I don't even remember past hearing those words, like everything vividly. Like it was like the whole room just didn't make sense anymore. Nothing made sense. And I just remember like crying and being in the room and my husband, like equally just blindsided and and Mm -hmm. not knowing what to say, what to Mm -hmm. do. And, um, you know, it's the loss of his child too. And, but then he also like has me who's like carrying this baby and it, it was awful. And I went home and literally was just told to wait. And I mean, at, at the risk, I I did put a trigger warning on this, but like at the, (laughs) at the risk of like, you know, sounding awful, like I felt like, like I was carrying around like a dead child, which is like a traumatizing um, thing to go through in and of itself. Wow. Like it, it's very hard to like comprehend and like wrap your head around and you still feel like you're pregnant and like you are, but like it's not going anywhere. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just kind of a, like a, a mind fuck and like you just don't know what to do with it and unfortunately for me um I was unable to pass it on my own and ended up having to go in for surgery um which was an experience in and of itself and then you leave and you're not pregnant anymore but you have nothing to show for it gosh and then you just have to go home and then you're faced with, well, like, what do I tell people? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. There's so many layers. Like, to- how do I address this? Like mm-hmm. some people didn't even know that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Some people did. And then having to like formulate those words and like say that you lost it. And you're like, well, did I do something wrong? Like, what could I have done differently? Like, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. And they tell you like, it's just, you know, unfortunate. Like it was, you know, something that you'll never really have the answers to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can send it for genetic testing, but like, they don't really find anything most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just left and you don't know. And you just feel like this, like profound sadness for everything that you hoped and everything that you thought was going to come into existence. And then it's not. And then on top of that, you have to watch other people go through and have their babies and you're calculating Mm -hmm. in your head, like, well, I should have been four months pregnant. Mm -hmm. I should be six months. And Mm -hmm. then eventually your due date hits. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that you don't ever forget what that date should have been. And like, for me, like it came and went and I'm like, I should have like a baby in my arms right now. And I don't. And then, like I said, you're experiencing, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to go through when so many people around you are pregnant because Mm -hmm. you are genuinely elated for them. Like you're Mm -hmm. so happy for them, but it's also so deeply painful to watch them experience what you thought you were going to be having. Like you thought you were going to be pregnant alongside these people. And now they've moved on without you mm-hmm. and they're holding your, their babies when you thought you would be holding yours. Wow. Ash. Oh my gosh. I have to say I have known other loved ones that have experienced a miscarriage this is the first time that I really understood the different levels of psychological grief. And I think that like all grief has psychological aspects to it, but the way you described the stages of what you went through and each different stage is, a, is having to reconcile with physical and then emotional and like go like talk you know you hear about the stages of grief but this is like stages of of psychological grief on top of it and like yearly you know like you said you never forget these times like wow and then also having every like those around you kind of be enveloped by a situation that you you were in and then to have it like out I can't wow my first question like even you know, we're talking about this, like, I, to this second, I don't know what to say. Is there anything that when you were going through it, because now I, we were so young at that time, too. And so it it was just such a shock. Um, I'm sure I didn't say any of the right things then. Reflecting back, was there anything that someone said more than others that, like, gave you some comfort, or at least didn't make you feel worse? What, what were some of the better ways that people handled listening to you and being there for you then? Honestly, the best support that I really found at during the time was truthfully talking to other people who had shared experience it, the same experience that I had. Understood. Um, I mean, no, most people didn't say anything truly terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that as a whole, um, just simply acknowledging, you know, the loss, um, was appreciative, you know, not ghosting me was appreciated. Mm-hmm. I would say that avoiding things, you know, where it's again, looking for the silver lining, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. least you weren't that far along. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's probably one of Oof. the worst, or mm-hmm. you're young, you're going to go on to have more kids. Those things I found very unhelpful and honestly mm-hmm. very hurtful. And at the time, like I didn't have any other kids. Mm-hmm. So in the back of my mind, a fear of mine was like, well, what if I don't have any other kids? Sure. But everyone's sure. like, oh, you're young. You'll have other kids. Don't worry about it. Well, mm-hmm. that's not. And I also have had friends who have gone through it in which it wasn't their first pregnancy. And mm-hmm. they received the very hurtful comments of, you should be happy for the kids you have, or you're lucky you already have kids Wow, okay. and things like that. And mm-hmm. again, I, I just think that that's not the most sensitive thing that you could say. Like, again, like 
as with any loss, like looking for the silver lining in that is not the way to go. I found my most healing in connecting with others who had been through loss. I'm very thankful for those women who kind of came forward during that time and said like that they had experienced a loss like that too and were willing Mm -hmm. to share my their experience with me and that we were able to kind of talk that over and share in that experience ourselves Mm -hmm. um I found that once I went through a loss like that um it kind of was entry like into a club that you would never really want to be a part of but Mm -hmm. they sort of open the doors to you and all of a sudden you find out all these people who have experienced a miscarriage like you did that you, you had no idea Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually I found true healing when I was able to help other people who had gone through, um, a, you know, a miscarriage as well. And I was able to share my experience with them and be able to like help them through and what helped me like in the moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just being there for somebody and sitting with them or being normal with them or just mm-hmm. seeing what they want that day. Sometimes I just didn't know what. I wanted or needed in that moment, but I was thankful for the people who were there when I was ready. And I could be like, and I could be like, Hey, like, let's go get a drink. Or I could be like, Hey, today really sucks. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And like, they could just be there for me and whatever that capacity was that I wanted, um, in that time. Um, do you think that it's safe to say that one thing that might prevent someone from reaching out to someone who's grieving um, is not and then also something that might be difficult for the grief the person who is grieving is understanding that grief might involve like really extreme emotions and behaviors sometimes like you might you might catch your you might you know be trying to show concern to your friend and there might be anger there might be like some really highs and lows and there, it might be, there might be some erratic feelings. And while that's so uncomfortable and none of us, well, at least, you know, we, it's something that is just uncomfortable, but taking yourself out of that, like trying to like, if you really are committed to being there for a loved one and realizing that, yeah, this, it might not be fun. Like, honestly, it being, you know, we're, I'm used to having fun with my, my friend or my, my loved one. I, but that's, this is not going to be the situation. It might not be for a while. And if they act a certain way, or if it, they're not going to be able to be there for me, it's not about me. The discomfort that I'm feeling with experiencing them going through these really highs and super mostly lows um, is nowhere near what the grief that they're going through. And if I really want to be there, it's, it's taking myself out of it. Um, and of course, you know, there's differences, there's the difference between like tough emotions and abuse, you know, never, never saying, never encouraging that, but I think that's understood. Um, Yeah. And, and like I said, that was my experience, uh, with loss, but I had a close friend of mine who actually lost one of her twins, um, in infancy when he was 11 days old and that, you know, supporting somebody through that you know, intense loss, uh, also really had a profound impact on me. And I'm actually really thankful to her for kind of teaching me and showing me like a lot about grief and grief Mm -hmm. journeys Mm -hmm. and just being, and I was just willing to listen to her 
and learn from her. And, you know, one of the things that she said in having lost one of her boys that always really resonated with me is that, Mm -hmm. you know, not all, everyone's not the same, but most bereaved mothers love to talk about their children. Whether they're here or whether they're not here, they love to hear it acknowledge that other people besides them remember their Mm -hmm. kids and talk about them. And that always really resonated with me. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to bring, bring up their child and, Mm -hmm. and have them cry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But even though they're crying, you also may have just made their day by talking about their child when maybe they thought that it's been so many years that nobody else is thinking of them. That is so, I'm so glad that you mentioned it because I think that without hearing that, um, I, I would have thought like not to bring up something that painful, but it like, you know, I just heard the other, I read the other day, you know, healing is feeling and, healing might not look like a smile. It might not look like carefree laughter. Healing might be remembering and feeling that that feeling that presence with your best friend or someone that you that did have the opportunity to meet this loved this lovely little child. And I and that might be the most healing thing for this woman. Oh, my. Thank you for sharing her story, too. And I think that, you know, like I said, I wanted to share that because I think that, unfortunately, at our age, there are a lot of people out there who maybe have a friend or themselves Mm -hmm. have lost a child, whether it was a miscarriage like mine early on, where unfortunately you never got to meet them or Mm -hmm. later on where they were born and they had life and you have pictures and memories and all of that and Like, I love when she shares pictures of her son and talks about him. I love hearing that. And there's so many times that even I see her, you know, son that she has now. And I imagine, like, that there's two boys there. And, like, I never forget because she does such a great job of honoring and remembering him that he's a twin. Oh, my gosh. Being a twin. That's like, I just. Yeah. So I wanted to share that because I really hope that it can help someone out there. Uh, you know, who's going through that and to talk about their child and remind them that like, you know, you know, you know what that just reminded me of too. Ash is like something that I read about is like providing ongoing support for someone who's grieving. Like, um, you know, it's at the forefront of everyone's mind in the weeks and maybe months after some, someone has lost someone, but for that person, it's, it's, you know, our other people's lives who weren't so connected move on. And, 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 you know, you just, that's, that's unfortunately the nature of life, but for the people who are closest to them, um, it want, they want to talk yearly, monthly, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it's and and you, and it must be so touching to feed the, that's that truly sincere, um, way of accepting the feelings but also being genuine in your communication and and wanting wow that's you know it's so what you said the ongoing support I think that's really important too like when anybody passes away whether it's a grandparent Mm -hmm. a parent a friend a spouse a child whoever I think a lot of times that we all get in the habit of thinking that it all ends after the services like the funeral or the wake or whatever it is and 
we all kind of move on. Mm -hmm. But that person has still experienced this loss. And like in many ways, their grief journey is still very young and just beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think it's remembering to support them during that time after all those initial wave of people expressing their condolences ends. Like you're leaving that service and now you're faced with quiet or Mm -hmm. real life Mm -hmm. without that person. And I think that a lot of times that gets forgotten, but it's really important to continue to check in and support and, and support that person, you know, beyond that. So true. And even like in ways that maybe um, aren't verbal communication, but something that is hard for me, but being willing to sit in silence and just maybe just being there or doing things like practical support, clean at offering to clean, grab groceries, help watch kids, maybe um, help with yard work, things that, you know, here you are as an adult um, and there are so many pressures on on adults to have to return to work or take care of their children or such a myriad of other responsibilities as caregivers. But they're just, they're going through such a difficult time. Sometimes it's hard to have to function because the world keeps crunching and turning and sometimes being able to just alleviate that and maybe let them have two hours where they can just crash on the couch if they just don't have the energy to do it is another way if you just don't have feel like you have the words or you don't know what to say and for those people who do have children sometimes offering to like take the kids for a couple of hours to allow you to grieve in your own way, because oftentimes in front of kids, you're trying to be mm-hmm. strong for them that you're really mm-hmm. not allowing yourself to feel your true feelings. Mm-hmm. So if they want that space to, you know, take their kids to do something fun for a couple hours and let them really be in their feelings mm-hmm. and grieve in whatever open way that they need to without feeling the need to be strong. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. You know what, you know, we, he, Ash and I weren't sure how to bring this up, um, but then we, we thought, you know, a lot of our, our friends and family have dealt with this before, and it's it's a totally different kind of loss, um, but one that we've both experienced um, is the loss of a pet, and that's I, so, so different than a, a, a loved person, but also something that we noticed that a lot of 35-ish um, people are dealing with, and and we talked about how hard that is because here is this this little being that, you know, the relationship for, for the most part is a lot less complex than it is with a human. They're basically your dynamic with your pet is joy and, and loyalty and and a daily interaction, constant interaction, even more so since COVID. Um, and just talking, just understanding and acknowledging how hard that is and to not have any of any listeners feel like they're crazy for deeply grieving a pet and missing them and not knowing where if to get an if it's too soon to get a new one if they even want another pet or or how to talk about it yeah I mean it is a really interesting interesting topic and um, I found that many of us uh, myself included you know fresh out of college, early 20s, out on your own, getting a dog or a pet Mm -hmm. is like a rite of passage. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my now husband and I were no different. And, you know, we got our first pet together, a beagle named Cooper. 
and he was our first baby and Mm -hmm. we loved him and we raised him together Mm -hmm. and he was with us through everything including Mm -hmm. the miscarriage that I talked about earlier um and you know unfortunately he passed away a little over a year ago um and it was very unexpected to be honest Mm -hmm. um he was older so we knew you know he didn't have a ton of years left Mm -hmm. um but unfortunately his decline came out of nowhere and was very quick and rapid um and it was really hard Mm -hmm. um we had him, he was at our house around every single day. Yep. He had these little yep. tags on his collar and he would run around and you could hear them kind of clanging together. And yes. he always had like this really specific noise. Like mm-hmm. when he would jump up and down off the couch, it was like his claws hitting the floor and it made like this tapping sound. He always knew mm-hmm. we were like kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he this... really got just, he really just got sick out of nowhere and we, we took him to the vet because something just seemed really off. And my husband called me and he's like, this, this, this is it. Aww. And we were lucky in that um, he was stable enough that we were able to bring him home mm-hmm. to say our final goodbyes at home. And the kids got to say goodbye to him, which was probably one of the most heartbreaking things to witness. Oh, um. And then we had to bring him back and my husband and I were with him, but I mean, it's making me tear up to even talk about it. It's been over a year, oh, um, but it really, like, yeah. then we just had to go back to this empty house mm-hmm. and it felt so quiet uh-huh. and weird and I think empty. That is the, the thing about the pets, you know, it, they are these little beings, but they are so full. It's and it's I think it's the noises. That's the part that really like is it's so unique to them. And you you're listening for them constantly. Like you probably still even have moments where you expect to hear it. Cause like you said, it's so part, they're so embedded in your daily routine and your life. And they're so um, tactile and physical. Like it's, it's almost like muscle memory having them there. It's like, they're like another limb almost like they're part of your walks. They're part of, they're under your feet. They're there when you're at the refrigerator. So it's, it's my name out of the refrigerator. (laughs) But, and that, and that was the thing, like he, you know, he was really there. Um, you know, we were in the process of actually moving at the time. Um, and then like originally I did not want another dog for a while. Mm -hmm. I was like, I loved him so much, but Mm -hmm. he'd raid our refrigerator. Mm -hmm. He had to have a lock on it. If you ever (laughs) went to my house and you saw the giant metal lock on there. Like a padlock. He would actually eat us out of house and home. Um, and he would snatch food out of the kids' hands. He had a mind of his own. Um, and I was like, you know, I think I need, think I need a little time. And then sure enough, we got to our new house and Mm -hmm. it never felt right without a dog. Mm -hmm. And I was the first one to be like, all right, I know I said I didn't want another dog Mm -hmm. for a while, but I'm going to eat my words. And I like, it was so quiet. I couldn't stand it. Mm -hmm. And I would have never thought that we would get another dog so quickly, but 
and a thousand percent never ever replaced him but my house just mm-hmm. felt so weird without a dog mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he actually passed away in December and we got our next dog our current dog now in February mm-hmm. which if you had asked me and there's no right or wrong way some people move on quickly oh, and some people right. don't um I just knew for me like my house felt wrong without a dog mm-hmm. and if I couldn't bring my dog back I needed another one more love exactly and that's and that's such it's like it's almost like you the the comparison because with your new dog you're like loving your old dog and this like because you're like oh this is he loved this so I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it this way or try it this way and it's like they're constantly there as like their little dogs like predecessor like (laughs) yeah it's it's, they're that is it's kind of honoring their memory just because then you're taking more walks you're doing more things like that you did with them so yes and it brought back all the memories actually of like when he was a puppy and all of that um but I will say experiencing the loss of him um Mm -hmm. with our kids old enough to understand Mm -hmm. what was happening was really really hard um and they still talk about him now they like to talk about him and remember him and I love that um, I'm thankful that they were able to be old enough to remember him because mm-hmm. he was a huge part of mine and my husband's life, like even before them. So I love that they got to meet him and share so many like good years and memories. With yes. Him. Oh, absolutely. And you do, you never forget your childhood dog. I remember mine, Candy. She was with us from age seven until we graduated college. 22. I remember Candy. I remember Candy. She was I so do remember you know, it's so funny. Um, whenever I was napping, she would come over and she would just take like one quick kiss. And sometimes when I'm napping, I'm waiting for it. Cause like she used to do it every day. She would come home. If I got home from school, I'd like take a quick cat nap and she would walk in and just casually walk by, give me a kiss and keep walking. And, and sometimes you know, when you wake up and that like, like if you take a nap at a weird time of day and you feel like it's the next day, you don't know yeah. where you are. I'm like waiting to feel that. It's like still something like in my, like my short long-term so memory. Funny. Is that crazy? I it, know. That's so, that's so interesting. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, something that I wanted, um, you know, to mention, like we, you know, said before this, I feel so like this has been therapeutic for me. So thank you everyone for listening, but definitely, you know, um, I think that I would encourage anybody who's, who's going through something to definitely seek out a professional too. And, and, you know, things like to, that I kept, I read about, um, since I'm not a professional on this, but, you know, kind of like maybe looking, um, you know, keeping tabs on your close person who's lost someone and, and things maybe, maybe to keep an eye out for if you, you know, that that's different from like a grieving to like maybe a really dark, a more difficult depression. Um, somebody who might be have difficulty functioning in daily life, um, focus on death. Maybe if they go to um, other ways of self-medicating and things like that, um, keeping eyes out, you know, feel, constant feelings of, ho- of hopelessness, some things to like look out for too as, as, as the, the person who's a bit removed from it, sometimes you can maybe just be that extra eyes to see if, if they might need more help than what they have or what they think they need. Yes, absolutely. Check on your people, mm-hmm. keep an eye on them, you know, be there for, you know, your loved ones. 
beyond the funeral, beyond mm-hmm. the services. Mm-hmm. Remember that. Remember that, you know, that they're there. Um, I 100% agree. Professional help, whether it's a one-on-one thing, whether it's a mm-hmm. support group, mm-hmm. but make sure you're connecting with other people in some mm-hmm. capacity uh, as a way to get out your thoughts and your feelings. Journal. If you're not ready yeah. to say some of your true feelings out loud to anybody, maybe try journaling and writing it down, um, but expressing your feelings and working through those tough, tough, tough emotional feelings. And just know like the number one thing is like, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even, you know, something to um, social media, using it for its good points and maybe finding spaces if it's too difficult to maybe see others face to face reaching out in that way. There's there, like you said, there, you're not alone. There's so many, so many ways um, to connect in a way that might be most comfortable for you. Absolutely. So again, we hope that, you know, this brought peace or comfort or some insight um, to all of you listening. Um, And I hope that we did this topic some kind of justice Um, It was so requested by people, um, but we hope that sharing our experiences can truly help someone else. Um, And as always, we will be back next week. Mm -hmm. Um, We will likely likely have a little less of a heavy topic. Yes. Um, (laughs) Get back to some laughs. Definitely. Thank you so much for listening. Um, And remember, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. um, And if you get a chance, leave us a review. Thanks so much. Have a great week.